Hi, y'all. Today's most useful tip is a teaser from our upcoming Off the Grid issue, which comes out January 3rd. And yes, I know it's crazy how far in advance magazines work. Our Off the Grid issue is about being totally self-sufficient in the modern age, whether that's at your hunting cabin, your chalet in the woods, or just a shack you built yourself to get away from it all. This tip comes from Marcus Yoder, executive director of the Amish and Mennonite Heritage Center in Berlin, Ohio. Basically, if you want to save winter ice for use in the summer, like the Amish do, chop up or freeze big chunks of ice in the winter and place them in a shed. The shed should have walls that are one foot deep all the way around the ice. Fill this foot with cellulose, pack sawdust between the ice blocks, and top the whole shebang with styrofoam under the roof. And there you have it, ice in July. Any Amish or Mennonite listeners out there, if there are any, will love this week's topic. We talked to Ben Chapman, Associate Professor of Food Safety at NC State University and also North Carolina State Fair canning judge, about preserving food safely and tastily without giving anyone botulinum poisoning. After that, I talked to everybody's favorite popular mechanics handyman, Roy Berenson, about hanging my brand new TV on the wall. And Matt Goulet and Peter Martin discussed the pros and cons of short throw projectors. Gather ye harvest fruits and vegetables, y'all. I'm Jacqueline Detweiler, and this is the most useful podcast ever. We have with us here Ben Chapman, who is associate professor at NC State University. Uh, he's an expert in food safety and is a contributor to the Barf Blog. Uh, thank you for joining us, Ben. Thank you so much for having me. We actually just yesterday um, had a competition at the state fair for home canning. It was one of the things that we, my department, has done for like 80 years. So when I started this position, I inherited overseeing the, the state fair. Like that's so, that's so fun. Do you, when you, te- when you are judging this, are you testing it using scientific means or are you tasting it? Both. We have rules, uh, as it relates to the pH of products when it comes to things that are acidified. Uh-huh. And I have, um, a group of graduate students and undergrad students, uh, on Monday, we spent, uh, almost four hours going through not all of the products, but about 200 of them. Uh, and we tested pH, and we also review recipes. So every entry has to come along with a recipe that is from one of the uh, sources that we that we trust when it comes to food safety, the sources that have data behind them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the National Center for Home Food Preservation is one of them. The USDA Guide to Home Canning is another. And then there's a book that was released by the Ball Company called the Ball Blue Book. Uh-huh. Um, and so, so we, we review, I mean, all 700 recipes to make sure that they're in step with those. Okay. Uh, so I was going to say, I was going to say, like, how do you, tr- I feel like I wouldn't be able to trust, like, some random guy from somewhere, you know, pickled his eggs or whatever and sends them in and you're kind of like, I got to taste these now. <laughs> like, how yeah. Do you- yeah, we don't, we don't trust it. Uh, <laughs> four years ago, one of our judges tasted a product that was supposed to be a pickled peach product. Uh-huh. Um, and peaches are, are um, a high acid fruit, so we don't really, or we're not usually concerned about botulism. Mm-hmm. But when the um, judge tasted it, she said there was no vinegar uh, at all. She's like, there's, it's basically just, just water and peaches and onions. Um, and then we tested the pH of, of that product, and it was at 5.8, which would be uh, you know, a full um, point scale away from what we would consider a high acid food. And so I had this judge that 
um, might have tasted something that could have contained botulism or botulinum toxin. Right. And, and so we put all these new rules in place after that happened. What is botulism? Because I know actually when I was a kid, I mean, I'm sure I've heard all sorts of silly things, but I remember when I was a kid learning that like if the can, if there's, if there's a can at the grocery store and it's like, you know, the, the top of it is popped out kind of right. like looks like it's ex- it might explode then there's a risk of botulism but i don't know what botulism is i just knew it was bad it's like you know the boogeyman or something it's it's pretty bad it's a disease caused by uh ingesting a toxin that's created by uh, a pathogen called clostridium botulinum and it's the same pathogen it's a human pathogen same toxin that we use in botox and what it does is it, it affects nerves and, and that's why it works as bot- in Botox is it deadens nerves and releases your face or your neck. <laughs> releases um, your face. Yeah. And, and so the problem when you ingest it is it does the same thing in your nervous system. And so it leads to paralysis. Right. So it leads to, to a wrinkle-free nervous system. Uh, yeah. A wrinkle-free nervous system. Which is bad. Which, yeah. Which doesn't, if not treated, I mean, you really don't last very long. Right. Um, oh, that sounds nasty. It is. You know, I, I work in food safety. I do a lot of work with foodborne pathogens. It, it's the, the pathogen that scares me the most from a consequence. Now, fortunately, we actually don't see a lot of botulism in the U.S. every year. There were cases in the mid-70s, and so your bulging cans is mm-hmm. something that was much more prevalent um, 30 or 40 years ago, and then there were regulations put in place for low-acid canned foods as well as acidified um, foods, and so low-acid canned foods like a can of green beans or chili sauce. Mm-hmm. Um, acidified foods would be things like pickles, and, and those, those rules were put in place you know, 30 plus years ago because to, to address our concerns around botulism. And so a bulging can was an indicator or could be an indicator that that can was not processed correctly in a processing. Oh, so there's really, I always thought it, but you know, I was like, is this a wives tale? I've never got heard of anyone getting anything from green beans, but I guess I just was living after the fact. Yeah. And so we don't see too many cases of botulism a year maybe a couple of hundred, Mm -hmm. largely those botulism cases may come from wound botulism, uh, infant botulism, which comes from uh, usually, you know, infants, kids kids under one, consuming honey. So those are most of the botulism cases. The ones other than that, we see them associated with home canned foods. Okay, so this uh, this kind of segues into what I wanted to talk to you about. The, I actually have been interested in canning personally. We just did a story about it, which you were actually an expert that we contacted uh, in Popular Mechanics November issue. But uh, I've been wanting to do it, and I think it's mostly because I live in Brooklyn, so I just feel like I should. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's hot, right? Yeah, you no, go, yeah, it's like if you're not canning and you live in Brooklyn, what are you even doing? You know, well, what, I mean, are you, what are you doing with all your mason jars? Is this, well, I put candles in them mostly. Ah, good, because I know, I mean... <laughs> Based on what I know about Brooklyn, I mean, you have to, you're obliged to buy a bunch of mason jars when you move there. Yeah, yeah, you're not, I mean, they come with that apartment usually. Good, good, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, so I've, I've been feeling like I should can something, God knows what. Um, but I'm, I'm scared because it seems like there's a real risk if you do it wrong. I cook a lot and I'm like, well, you know, the worst thing that's going to happen is I'm going to give somebody food poisoning and they throw up and I'd feel terrible, but I wouldn't kill anyone. Um, so... What first of all, what are the steps involved in canning if you're going to make it safe? Well, it, it it really all depends on what it is you're canning. If it's a low acid food, um, and most vegetables are low acid, 
um, we have to do one of two things to them. We either have to add acid in, usually in the form of vinegar, sometimes in the form of lemon juice, um, and then that will change the pH of, of that food so that the Clostridium botulinum won't come out of its spore form and go into a vegetative cell. Or we have to can it using pressure. Um, so if I want to take my green beans and I don't want to make dilly beans that are, that are pickled beans, mm-hmm. um, I have to use a pressure canner uh, to increase the heat as I seal my, my jars. Um, and, and that will inactivate those spores. You know, bacteria are amazing um, organisms, and they're really built to withstand crazy environmental um, situations. Right, they're little and, bastards. Yeah, yeah, they are. You know, just getting getting wa- water up to 212 degrees, degrees Fahrenheit isn't going to do anything to a spore. Um, we often have to get it above 220, 230, 240 degrees to inactivate it. And wow. so we can only do that with pressure. Yeah, so, I mean, I, these pressure canners, I've seen them. You can, like, you can buy them. Is there, I mean, are there differences between them, or are they all pretty much the same machine? There are. I mean, there are differences. They're not, um, they're, you know, they're kind of rudimentary type, uh, type, type equipment. It's, it's essentially um, a pot with a lid, and that lid seals with a gauge uh, on it to monitor the, the pressure as it, as it builds up. The more expensive they get, the better um, the better built they are, so they last longer. Okay. Or you know, but but uh, you know, ultimately, it's a it's a lid on a pot that has some sort of locking mechanism and some safety features to make sure that you don't blow the lid off of it and that the lid ends up in your ceiling. And can, canning is sounding like a pretty like extreme kitchen act here. Yeah. Now, if we're talking about high acid foods, or if we're adding acid. Um, in we're making pickles. Um, you, you still need to heat treat the the jars of pickles, and you're doing that to kill vegetative cells. E. coli 015787. seven. So this is the a bacteria that historically we've associated with meat, mm-hmm. but increasingly has been associated with fresh fruits and vegetables over the last say 15 years. It's acid tolerant. So oh, yeah, we, so if you man. don't. Yeah, <laughs> they just exactly. keep coming up with new stuff to worry about. Yeah, so so it means like, you know, I might I, I'm going to control the clostridium botulinum. I'm not going to get botulism by pickling my, you know, adding a bunch of vinegar into my cucumbers. But I still need to heat treat that jar to kill um, the E. coli that might be that might be there, and it might just be coming from the field where I got the cucumbers. Right. Um, so so it's not. I mean, I, I wouldn't say it's you know it's not like making a grilled cheese sandwich or boiling an egg. Um, you know, you need some specialized equipment. But once you get into the um, into the swing of it, it's it's not it's not a terribly complicated process. And it's really been around for a couple of hundred years and hasn't changed a whole lot. So if I it seems like what you would recommend to a first time canner is, you know, get one of these pressure canning machines get a hold of some respectable literature that will tell you temperatures and the things you need to know, and then can something that's kind of high acidity. Do you have a recommendation for what kind of high acidity? Like, what's a, like, would you say tomatoes first or jam or some sort of thing that is safest? I would recommend starting with something that's got a a fairly simple recipe um, and something that, that if you mess it up, that it's okay for you to have you know, eight jars and you just put them in the fridge, right? Like you can go through it. So something you like. Right. So uh, one last question. 
What is the best thing you've ever tasted in the course of judging state fair canning? Ooh, great, great question. Um, I'm going to go with the most recent thing that's in my in my mind from just yesterday when we were judging. In the jelly category, we had a lemon jelly that uh, won Best in Show that I still am thinking about today that was just so flavorful. The uh, jelly was really, really clear. I mean, it just tasted like fresh lemons. It was really, really fantastic. Wow. I, I kind of want some, but now I say I can't have it. So. <laughs> Um, Well, thank you so much for joining us. That was really awesome. Uh, And I now am, maybe I'll try it now. Maybe I'm less scared. All right. Um, So we have Roy Berenson, our senior home editor, back on the podcast this week. Um, I just bought a TV on the podcast last week. I don't know if you know that. No, no. Yeah, I did. I finally bought one with the help of Peter and Alex. Oh, cool. Um, And it's a 40-inch, and I'm really excited about it. And now I have it in my apartment. I want to hang it on my wall. And so I need to know what to do next to hang it on my wall. What do I need? Okay. Well, a variety of things. Uh, First of all, um, the hardware. Do you need hardware-rated for the TV's weight. Okay. Rated for the weight is the most important because you don't want it like pulling out of your wall. Correct. Right. That makes now, sense. in most cases, that's that you're going to find hardware that is at least capable enough. You know, they'll say rated for whatever, you know, 200 pounds mm-hmm. or something. So m- manufacturers overshoot generously to op- avoid lawsuits and, you know, entanglements. Right, right. uh, Yeah, it'll be like rated for 200 pounds. Like, Well, it's 15, so I think we're probably good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so (laughs) you'll be able to... If my cat jumps on top of it, we're still good. Yeah, yeah, don't laugh. I I don't have a cat, but if I did... Yeah, people sue manufacturers. They do chin-ups on stuff or something and say it collapsed. And, (laughs) you know, well, you're not supposed to do a chin-up on it. Well, it doesn't say not to do chin-ups on it, so they file a lawsuit. (laughs) Well, really. I mean, talk to manufacturers. This this is good, though. I I didn't realize I'd also accidentally bought a pull-up bar, but now Uh, I guess I have. Yeah, you didn't hear that from me. <laughs> uh, that comes from the fitness editor, uh, and I'm unfit, uh, even to be an editor. So <laughs> I'm the unfit editor. I don't know that that's true. Anyway, all right. So um, hanging heavy objects off of a wall generally requires, unless the manufacturer of the bracket tells you otherwise, you want to attach it to the wall studs. Okay. So first, you have to be able to find the wall studs. There's a couple of simple ways to do it. The most obvious is to use a stud sensor. Mm-hmm. Stud sensors typically come in two types, center reading or edge reading. Uh, the old model that I keep in my toolbox, you press the thing against the wall, mm-hmm. press a button, let it calibrate, and then you slowly slide it to the left or the right. And what happens is it has a light that lights up more and more, and then when it gets to the edge of the stud, you get like a full array of green lights. But that's the edge of the stud. So then you come from the opposite direction, slide it, slide it, slide it. Yep. And when you get the full array of lights, you stop, you make a little pencil mark. Now, usually that's a mark, between those two pencil marks is much wider than the edge of a stud. Mm -hmm. It could be as much as three inches. So you, you find the center, whatever the, the spaces between those two marks. And that's normally the center of your stud. Okay. It could be, but you have to be careful. It could be a pipe, could indicate other things. Ooh, that'd be bad. Yeah, yeah, obviously. So you find the stud. Other stud sensors are reading, uh, they're center reading. They have a little um, uh, screen 
for okay. lack of a better word. And as you're sliding that thing across the wall, it's going to indicate closer, 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 and it go beep. Normally there's a tone, and it'll have an arrow, and it'll indicate the center of the stud. After you think you found the stud, go a little lower or a little higher, preferably both, mm -hmm. and see if you get the same reading, going right. left to right. And eventually, trial and error. Now, because you should, because it should go up and down. Correct. The yeah, whole length the stud, of your wall. That's that's exactly right. The and height how of, thick are studs usually? A stud width uh, is today an inch and a half by three and a half inches deep. The wall, uh, two by four, the, the two inch edge is actually an inch and a half, not two inches. Two Sneaky. by four. Well, two by four. Lumber people like uh, uh, yeah, stiffness on the board width. Um, uh, <laughs> yes and no. Uh, uh, put it this way. They saw it uh, initially at, at approximately two inches by approximately four inches, but then they plane it nice and smooth, mm -hmm. and then they, they put a radiused edge on there. It turns out that one and a half by three and a half is a good dimension uh, for other reasons. Um, you're saving some lumber. You're getting more lumber from the log. Mm -hmm. So you're maximizing your forest resource uh, <laughs> to use to use to sound Oh, that's good. Okay. Uh, official. I take it back, lumber people. Um, where was I? Okay, so you verify that stud position. Yep. And then you're going to drill a pilot hole for the fastener that you're provided. And they'll tell you, normally the hardware instructions say you know, drill a fill in the blank, you know, use a drill bit, uh, a one eighth inch drill bit, and it'll have like a little diagram and you drill this pilot hole and, mm -hmm. you know, you drive the screw for the bracket. It'll have other advice um, about plumbing the bracket. The bracket, you know, should be in correct position on mm -hmm. the surface of the wall. Uh, right, that's getting it straight's got to be a thing too. What do you right? And I and you know whatever I can send you home with some tools from the office. But if you're doing folks out there in podcast land <laughs> who don't have a Roy, do, who don't have a Roy at your office? <laughs> yeah, well, um, if you do have a Roy at your office, ask that guy. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, um, there are Roys in lots of offices, and, <laughs> and many of them are even better Roys than I am. But in any case, um, so you're going to want to level uh, the bracket or plummet, and uh, again, the hardware. People hear me say this ad nauseum. I make the mistake sometimes myself. Read the instructions. Mm -hmm. The instructions are often terrible, <laughs> so people don't like to read them. No, no, really. I mean, if you're hanging something as heavy as a TV, you want to do a decent job. Read the instructions. Uh, you're going to need a cordless drill. Uh, if I'll get back to stud finding in a second. Um, a stud finder is helpful. A level is helpful. You're going to need a pencil, a drill bit, you know, mm -hmm. so forth. Now, Big screws. Yeah, big. Well, that that'll be the hardware. It'll come it, with that. Yeah, you're, you're going to need a screwdriver or a screwdriver bit for your cordless drill driver. If you don't have a stud finder, there's other ways to find a stud in a wall. One simple way is to turn off the lights in the room, <clears throat> and this works with drywall. It doesn't work with plaster. Um, you take a flashlight or some bright light in a dark room, and you put it right against the wall surface so that the the light is skimming along the wall surface. Okay. We, we used to do this before there were stud sensors. Right. And what you see is you'll see, um, like, there'll be some indications, very faint, where the screws or nails oh. are, are actually, yeah. That's Excuse so me. interesting. So you see, like, kind of nail heads. Yeah, a you'll bit. either see a, a very a faint divot or even a tiny. In some cases, you'll actually see the drywall cup in slightly. 
between the studs and it'll be so uniform. It's, I think it's, I've seen that before. I was, yeah. I was going to say, when you started saying this, I was like, I bet it's like a wave because I feel yeah, like yeah. I've seen that. Yeah, no, you've... you've, you've That's yeah. wild. Yeah, it works. I've never heard this before. Well, so here's, here's another thing, and you can verify this. So you, you, you mark where you think your stud is, and then with a little bit of practice, you just take your, your middle finger and you kind of loosen your wrist and you go ka-tonk, 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 ka you know, uh, You'll hear <laughs> it right over the stud. Ka-tonk, ka-tonk, ka-tack. Uh-huh. Works like a charm. Cool. So that's so that's it. You well, know, that I'm sounds that sounds actually doable. No, it is. Yeah, you, you can do this. Jerry. Although now I'm going to go try to sneakily find all my studs and then use the stud sensor just to see how good I am. Yeah, yeah. <gasps> awesome. Well, thank you. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to trying it. I'll I'll let everybody know how it goes. Yeah, right, you'll do well. Cool. So I'm just back from a weekend of camping, and so is uh, Mac Goulet, who is here to tell us about his camping experience with a short throw projector, and also uh, Peter Martin, who has been playing with short throw projectors. You guys are like our office projector people. <laughs> what is a short throw projector? Good question. So short throw projectors that usually you put six to ten feet away from the screen. Okay. There's ultra short throw are the ones that we were we were testing okay and then you set the thing back like six inches from the wall and it can still give you an 80 inch picture oh, or that's more crazy. the farther you put it and then there's kind of short throw that's in the middle like four feet five feet okay and it'll still give you the 80 to 100 inch picture. what is the main throw just called like throw projector just proje- <laughs> throw projector it's like projector those old. giant things from like uh elementary school yeah that, yeah. Yeah. yeah and most ultra short throw projectors or short are for academic or business settings Oh. oh, right. So if you're at a conference t- room at a conference table, it doesn't matter yeah. what their setup is. You can just do it. It replaced the overhead projector. What's the, what's the point of having one of these and not a TV? Like, why, what's the Instead advantage? of a TV? Yeah. You don't I have mean, a TV on your wall all the time. Oh, okay. It so. just looks uh, like the bigger TVs get. Now that you have a TV, and I know. you know these problems. But that's the focal point of your room. Right. When you oh, go okay. in the living so room, there's a big TV on the wall all the time. And unless right. you have a media center that you hide it behind or something. There's always the TV. Yeah. And so some of these are small enough and cool enough looking that you don't even really know. Okay. But you do have to have a blank wall. Yeah. Okay. Or um, a sheet. You yeah. Pin up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which would probably wanna... look worse than, than... So did you use this camping? Did you pin up a sheet? Yeah. Yeah. I whipped the Asus Zenbeam E1 out of uh, its little leather pouch that it comes in. I mean, the thing's probably about the size of my palm. And we just, uh, it runs on like, was probably char- full charge, like four hours of battery or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, had like a little phone, like, you know, you took an iPhone and then had your adapter that goes from the Thunderbolt connection to an HDMI outlet and then connected HDMI cord to that. Okay. And so you, you connect it directly to your phone? Yeah. We yeah. were up and rolling. And, uh, and wait, and so you streamed whatever you're watching over Wi-Fi? We didn't. So we just, that was the camping Wi-Fi? Yeah. I was supposed to say, I was like, well, <laughs> so right. I guess it's true. Wifi. Campsite well, might, you could have a, right? You could have a hotspot. Yeah. We true. were we were in like a dead zone. So that wasn't the case. So we, we came prepared as you always should when you go camping. You have to kind of think about things ahead of time. I don't think when the Boy Scouts talk about that, it's for the TV <laughs> like, they're going to watch. Download your movie in advance. <laughs> we did. So Scouts. I, we had a friend come equipped with a full HD version of the Blair Witch Project. Oh, my God. You suitable. watched that in the woods? It was awesome. Yeah. So Terrible That's idea. terrifying. That's so scary. And it was like a total hit. Yeah, I mean, it was like really impressive and incredibly easy to do. How far away did you put the the projector? We probably got... A good 65-inch, 70-inch screen, kind of on it onto that sheet, and it was probably about 
for feedback. Oh, really? Yeah. They, and like, and on the ground too. What was cool about this thing is that like, you know, we kind of had it like on a little mini tripod. Mm-hmm. So it's probably only about a foot off the ground. Right. Um, and like point it up a little bit, but like that has that keystone correction. So like the angle doesn't get crazy. It just oh. automatically corrects for it. Yeah. So we were I mean, talking about keystone correction the other day that yeah. you mean basically it doesn't, when you angle it up, it doesn't get that weird like, like trapezoid, trapezoid shape. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, at that point we were just, I mean, it, it like self-adjusted and we were up and running in like no time. That sounds great. Yeah. So I bet you're actually making me want to get one of these to go camping because... They're pretty cheap, right? Well, not, not cheap, cheap, but... This guy goes for like 250 bucks, which, I mean, oh. and, you know, it's small. It's, it's worth it. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it, it runs on batteries, so you can kind of make it a little portable as you need to. Um, I couldn't... I mean, who knows how great the picture actually is when you're in, like, a true <laughs> right. at-home setting. It's not going like, to replace your TV. Right. But, like, for, you know, a campsite when you're streaming on a bed sheet right. and... Uh, for you have a, a backyard party or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Totally convenient. Yeah. But it does. It has to be pretty dark for that one, right? I mean, that was my memory of it. That it, you guys must have been completely dark. Yeah, I mean, I remember, you know, when we were first kind of getting going there, and a couple of people still had their headlamps switched on. We had to kind of shout everyone down to oh. to to turn down their lights. Um, but that oh, was. Oh man, that's even the wor- that's even worse. Yeah. Got you can't find your headlamp. Gotta go. Gotta go pee. Been watching the Blair Witch Project. Yeah. Rustling in the sheet. That's why you never go to the bathroom. I actually had this nightmare, I think. Uh, But I think you said an important thing. There's no speaker in this. So how did you guys get around that? So there is a speaker in it. It's just, it's like a terrible, dumpy little, yeah, yeah, you know, it goes up to 10. (laughs) So like, what are you going to do with it? Um, So, you know, but there is like an outlet for like a headphone jack. um, And you just kind of connect that to... Connected. Like your jam box or your whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah we had like okay. a you know like one of those uh, outdoor tech turtle shell things mm-hmm. that can get pretty loud. And you did a wired connection. Yeah, Bluetooth. Yeah, because when you connect um, the phone to you know the HDMI, like your audio is going through that too. Yeah. So then your audio is going to be oh, coming out of the projector. So then you have to connect the projector to the speaker. That makes sense. Yeah. And I didn't even, you know what? I didn't even check to see if there was Bluetooth on this thing because I just don't want to like leave anything. Right. Well, and Bluetooth on the other ones that I tested usually gave you a little delay yeah oh yeah coming right out yeah which you can get over but it's annoying yeah. so if there's if there's a cord it seems like a better choice yeah so what you've been using some too which ones have you used we've been looking at a bunch for a tool test page i think for february um and so look for that in your <laughs> so yeah look for, <laughs> that, look for that in a few months, couple <laughs> months. <laughs> after the holidays um, Sony makes a really cool one that is the size of a couple of books and it needs to sit maybe 10 inches back um from your wall. That can one's really great. Can you sit more, like farther back? You can take them as far back oh, as you, you want. You just start to lose image quality. And like uh. with the Sony, if you went back too far, you'd lose a lot of the brightness and it'd be hard to see. Because right. the smaller the smaller the projector, the smaller the lamp. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the... Well, and the, plus the further you move back, the, the further, the bigger You need a bigger wall. Yeah. 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 Right. So at some point it starts being on the ceiling and half on the wall and it's kind of worthless. And no one wants that. Right. Yeah. But the Sony's great because you have to have all the lights off. If the window, if the blinds are open, you're probably not going to be able to see it very well. Um, but it looks nice. I mean, it looks, Sony's products aren't always designed that beautifully. This one's really kind of nice. And so you could just put it on the desk and nobody would think it was anything. What, until is it, you turn what it does on. it look like? It's a little white box. It's like four by four, maybe four by six, um, three inches wide. Mm-hmm. It's cool. It has an automatic sensor to determine how far away you are to give the image size that you want. It'll automatically keystone correct. It'll automatically focus, but that didn't work very well when we did it. Um, but you can just hop in and change the focus and fix it fix it yourself. Oh, that um, sounds fun. It would not work for Matt's camping trip, though, because it is battery-operated, which is great, and it's wireless, which unlo- uh, not a lot of them were wireless, but that was great because then if you have it at home, you plug it into your cable box that's on the other side of the room, put the Sony wherever you want it, and as long as it's a line-of-sight connection, then it 
projects it on the wall without any. There was no lag for that or anything. Right. Wait, but why wouldn't it work for Matt? Because uh, you have to be on the same Wi-Fi network. You have to. You uh, you control it through an app. Yeah. Yo. So your phone and the and the projector have to be on the same Wi-Fi. Oh, I so see. So the the projector is not its own Wi-Fi hotspot. That like when I took it home, I had to. I had to log in on my phone on the app and then log the projector in to the home Wi-Fi so the phone and the projector could talk. Oh, I see. And what, what's uh, this one called? It is the Sony Portable Ultra Short Throw Projector. Okay. And how much is that one? It's $1,000. Okay. Oh, that's a lot. That's more um, than that. Yeah. But, it's, but, uh, the, but picture cooler, the picture quality is better. It's less portable. I mean, it's almost as portable. You just can't do what Matt did where you plug it right in and have it shoot the thing to the wall. Right. And that's what's, I mean, I don't know. These short, like I was playing with the LG version of that this summer and like those i don't know if like if that's going to be like your big bad tv in your house like yeah i mean you probably end up if you're spending right, shell that out much for the like, big one yeah. but that's because yeah. they're so cool 1300 that one's 1300 but oh, it's like it's truly is, amazing it is amazing I that's basically it. a tv replacement yeah i mean that's like a big high-end tv yeah. replacement but yeah yeah and it is is it as bright as a tv from what i recall and we i mean again we use this in a unconventional setting we <laughs> were uh, we have a, I have a patio in my apartment, and this summer, and like where we abut another apartment building, so we have this giant sort of uh, slate gray wall up against like one side of the patio. Um, so during the summer, we would just screen stuff out there. Right. Um, you know, at dusk or dark. We should point out that these are not total TV replacements. They're not going to be as good as a regular projector. They're not going to be as good as a TV TV because you're paying some for the, the, the size. Convenience and the, yeah. yeah. Well, how, how much smaller than a regular projector are these on average? On average, probably a third of the size. Okay. Um, and so, so, but they're more expensive than a projector or? They're about the same, but the quality is oh. not as good. But yeah, so you pay for the, it's You're paying for the convenience of it. Would you, uh, Peter Martin, buy your you your yours was the one thousand dollars Sony? Yeah, I would. would I think would I you might. Buy that? Yeah. Oh, you might actually do yeah. it. Yeah, I don't want this to be replace our TV. Um, they're just not quite good enough, and also it feels really stupid to watch Morning Joe at a hundred inches. <laughs> you just if you're watching the news and it's that big, it it feels dumb. So a thousand dollar projector is your backup TV? No, for like football. Now we'll have another room that can just be like a family room kind of place where there's just a couch and you go in and you watch football there. And then I think it's worth it. Uh, we watched the debates on it. Ooh, now that seems good. That seems horrible. That seems it like, it's like, well, especially this time, like, seems like fight night, like a boxing we, we didn't watch this one on it. We should oh. have. But yeah, the first one, my mother-in-law was very excited to. Their TV's too small. It's down. You can't really see it. She wanted to be excited about Hillary and make her big. Um, <laughs> so we put it up on the wall. That's much more fun. Nice. So, yeah, but I would, I would buy this one. Okay. And Matt Goulet, which of your two would you go for? Uh, I definitely think everyone should sort of like have the Asus on hand for 250 bucks. It's sort of like in the portability of it. Like, it? why not have something like that? Right. That's like it's right. super fun to bring along wherever you go. Right. So the next time you're just like having dinner on the porch, you can be like, you know what? Yeah. What if we just watched yeah. the LG one? I if I could afford it, I would own it. That was one of my favorite ones yeah. for the test for the magazine. And that, that was, that was a little, the cube that's 1300? Yeah. yeah. It's a little bigger than the Sony. But oh. it, like, it has a smart TV connection, so even if you don't have cable, you know, you can like stream Netflix and, H, and uh, like YouTube and all that stuff like right off it. Like it has the apps installed in it. So, right. And it comes with like this little remote that can, like you could point at, you know, wherever you're projecting on and it re- registers like where you're shooting, like pointing oh, that's at and cool. stuff. So it's, it's really cool. It's a yeah, fun Yeah, that seems neat. But there's that and so many more coming in February. Yeah. It's going to oh. be fun. I'm excited. 
funnest page in the magazine. Funnest page ever. If you buy one issue of Popular Mechanics in the next year. <laughs> Make it February 2017. Make it February. If you only read one page in that one issue. <laughs> and then if you only buy one projector, that's up to you. <laughs> that that, that you will can, that will that allow you, you to choose. choose. <laughs> so that's our show. The most useful podcast ever is produced by the staff of Popular Mechanics and edited by Jesse Wright Mendoza. We'd like to thank Sarah Bentley and Andy Bowers from Panoply and Popular Mechanics Editor-in-Chief Ryan D'Agostino. Please subscribe to our show on iTunes. And while you're there, leave us a comment. We'd love to know what you think about what we're doing. And if you want to read more about canning, check out our website, popularmechanics.com. While you're there, you can subscribe to the print and digital edition of Popular Mechanics magazine for just $13.99 a year. I'm Jacqueline Detweiler. Thanks for listening.